If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Well, joined in studio for the hour by one of my favorite radio and television personalities, someone who I've been following for literally decades. And for the last couple of decades, I've uh, had the opportunity to uh, call a friend as well. I am uh, very, very pleased to be joined by veteran TV and radio talk show host and the host of the new Richard Bay Talk podcast, The appropriately named Richard Bay. Richard, it's great to see you. It's been way too long. Thank you for that intro. And, uh, but I do have a story to tell during this visit to New York. That was an example of, uh, hubris (laughs) after, after that big buildup. All right. So uh, someone I love was in the hospital and I went to visit them and they, and uh, afterwards I Walked through Times Square. I was going to see a Broadway show. And, you know, you have those guys handing out the CDs. Sure. And as soon as you get it in your hand, they go, hey, that's $20, right? So I'm going through Times Square, and this guy goes, Richard Bay. And I said, yeah. He goes, you're the Richard Bay? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm the Richard Bay. You're the big Richard Bay? I'm the big Richard Bay. Where do they find these people? And then I kept walking, and I went, oh, my God, somebody still remembers me. And... I had my mask on, and I had glasses, and I'm 30 years older. How did he ever recognize me? And yet he still has me in his memory bank. And then I looked down, and I had my hospital visitor pass attached to my shirt, and it says Richard Bay. Uh, That's terrific. I know a lot of our listeners uh, still remember you from your time here on the radio on WABC. And if people want to call in, if they have questions, if they have comments, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Can I just say something? I was was talking to Jay Diamond, actually, who was another ABC veteran and uh, before I came here. And I was telling him, I go back so far that there was a period of time when WABC was on 6th Avenue. And I filled in for Bob Grant, and I interviewed Alan Simpson for an hour mm. on the radio station. But it was on Sixth Avenue. Yeah. Now it, I think they moved to Two Penn Plaza, which is where I worked previously, and you did around eighty-eight or eighty-nine. Yeah. Does that sound about right? And then uh, we moved into this building in the summer of twenty twenty. I don't know because Sixth Avenue must have been like. 87 or, or 88. Yeah, I think it was around 89 yeah. that they moved to Two Penn. But um, you used to live in New York for many, many years. You moved to Florida a few years ago. How's New York different now, New York City different as a visitor as opposed to when you lived here? Were any noticeable well, it, differences? It, you know, you depend on the period of time. This city, one of the things you can count on, as as you can count on it as well, when you get older, you change. But this city keeps changing and evolving. And I lived here, um, you know, during the Dinkins era and, uh, you know, during the um, late 80s and in the 70s when people were... Com- the city was a mess. We had the squeegee men. We had the the, the, the tourist from Utah who got a steak knife plunged mm. in his chest on 6th Avenue in the subway trying to protect his parents. A cop was 
Outside of where I lived, a cop was shot trying to stop a robbery at an ATM. Uh, You had graffiti everywhere. So I lived through that period of time, too. But one thing I will say is this city is so freaking expensive. It's it's just the other day I was reading an article. One article said the median rent in Manhattan is forty one hundred dollars. And that another article said it's five thousand dollars. That's the median rent. That's incredible. Now, Absolutely incredible. In Florida, there came a point in time when I said I wanted to move back to New York. And I took two weeks and I came up here looking for an apartment to rent. And this was right after covid. And I went around, and almost every place had something called the 40 times rule. So you had to have 40 times the monthly rent in yearly salary in order to sign a lease. And if you got a co-signer, they would have to have 80 times. So I gave them my tax returns, and they said, yeah, well, you don't qualify. And I'd say, yeah, but last year was COVID. (laughs) People weren't working, you know? I said, if you go back two years, I made a little bit more money. I worked in the theater. Now you wouldn't, you don't qualify 40 times. You know what that means? That if you're looking for a $3,000 apartment, which is, you know. Inexpensive. But not, yeah, you can't find one. Right. But $3,000, you'd have to make 120 grand a year. Mm -hmm. Just to qualify yeah, it's for it. absolutely extraordinary. I mean, uh, that, I guess, is the whole rationale behind rent stabilization is to uh, b- provide a dose of affordability. But uh, those apartments are few and far between, as you know. Yeah, but I saw, I saw some statistics the other day about uh, – they had about uh, 15 different New York City uh, – uh, American cities. And each one had the number of new apartments or condos being built – and New York, even though you see cranes around town and everything, it's it's really very low. They're really not building a lot in New York. They were building a lot of, of course, in the Sun Belt where people were going. You know, uh, when you were on uh, WABC, one of the things that uh, I really enjoyed about your show, and uh, I've tried to emulate this on this program to some extent, I noticed is that uh, <laughs> is that you really it was such a tremendous variety of subject matter on any given program. I mean, you would put it was clear to me how much work you were putting into this right. show. You would have uh, really fun bits like Bay the Barbarian, where you'd satirize <laughs> the kind of monstrous right wing talk show host. You would do the film reviews with your dad, Dick, Dick and, and dad, dad, go to, go the, to the movies. movies yeah. You'd have great song parodies. Great, po- You'd do interviews. you mix it up with the callers. There are really so few shows, forget about our station, on talk radio in general that where you see the people involved putting in that amount of work. What do you think happened to talk radio that you don't see that level of I don't know, layering and construction and multifaceted programming that you did no, when you did your program. No, it's not entertainment. It's political indoctrination, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, So when did that change? Well, I don't want to mention any names, but I think some of it changed with, with a PD who thought about P, what were they calling them, P1 topics? Right. That So there were three topics that would get uh, listeners angry and excited and you'd know what they were, and those are the three topics you'd have to hammer over and over and over again. And that's why you listen to radio all day, and it's basically the same thing over and over and over again. And it's, it's, it, it's, it's not even that it's not a different point of view. 
It's the same subject. Right. It's the same right. topic, right. you know. And my feeling was with radio, it's it's an intimate um, uh, medium. You know, you're in your car. You're lying, you know, in bed at night listening to a show like this because I did overnights too. Mm-hmm. I, I was telling somebody today I worked six days a week at uh, WAVC, you know. In fact, one day I did the – one weekend I did the Sunday overnight from 12 to 5 or 6 and then uh, Kubi was out. So I had to fill in for Kubi and I and that was last minute. And then John Gambling, I was set to fill in for Gambling because he was on vacation. So I did 12 midnight to 12 noon, went home, tried to take a nap. Of course, I couldn't do that. And then came back and did the right. buzz with Steve Malsberg at 6 o'clock, which those are Curtis radio oh, hours. my goodness. I mean, right? that, uh, that, that is for sure. Uh, 800-848-9222. It is a shame that you don't see, and I give uh, WABC under the current ownership a great deal of credit for at least being willing to try some new things and go in a different direction and not have the same sort of cookie-cutter approach to radio that you see on every other talk station in the whole country. But it it is a shame that a lot of people view podcasting as the place where you have to go to find creative spoken word content because people still want to hear entertaining and informative spoken word uh, dialogue, but it's really you can't find it on the radio dial by and, and large. And what you really miss with podcasting, though, is that intimacy. Right. When you're when you're doing, especially if you're local, and you're doing a radio uh, broadcast, you're dealing with people who live in that area. You're talking about things that concern their lives, and you're talking to them. Hopefully, in a way, I always there's there, there's, there's several uh, you know uh, like television hosts that had influenced me over the years. Uh, but uh, and one of them was Soupy Sales, obviously, with the TV mm-hmm. show. But uh, the, the the people who would be intimate and talk with you on the radio make you feel like you were talking just right to them, you know? There was an intimacy that you could create with people. But the other one was the Mickey Mouse Club. When we grew up, we'd sit in front of that TV and watch Mickey Mouse or, or Wonderama with Sonny Fox in New York. And you'd feel like you were part of the show mm. when he when, at the end when he goes mic see you next time k-e-y you were in that club you were in that group and that's something that you've done successfully with your uh, facebook page Murano haters and lovers and whatever and there's a group of people i know who those people are you know i know who metzger is and geller is and Stephen Johnson, even if I don't know who he is, he doesn't have a picture yeah, or a right, bio. Sure. But I know those people and I know what they're like. And it, and you also get the callers, too, that you, you know who the callers are who, who uh, you know, would call in from time to time on radio. So we spoke, uh, I guess, a couple of months ago when you first launched your podcast, the Richard Bay Talk podcast. I, I love it. I watch it every week. And um, whenever uh, you um, whenever you and I are on the same side of an issue, I'm always envious that you can make a point far better than I can, uh, even if we end up agreeing. And then uh, you're often able to persuade me that I'm wrong because you're pretty persuasive. And then uh, I end up feeling guilty if I end up disagreeing with you by the end of the podcast. But the thing I really like about it is you blend commentary on news of the day with a lot of really classic clips from your broadcasting career. Right. Stuff from People Are Talking, the old Richard Bay show. What made you launch this podcast? What, what prompted you to do it? Boredom? 
No, actually, it was uh, there's a when I worked on I worked on Sirius XM for a while, uh, primarily filling in for Lynn Samuels, who was on ABC, and for a guy named Alex Bennett, who was actually a radio legend. You know, when I was you know in college or in high school. You don't know him. Alex no, I know him. Yeah, yeah he's been yeah. a guest on the show. We right. were talking this week, actually. Uh, I tried to get him to come on this week, but the the hour was too late for him. <laughs> well, he's yeah. you know he's even older than I sure. am. <laughs> and, and this was a stretch for me. I think <laughs> I think I left my alacrity on the other side of midnight. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, what was my point here? No, I was that, why you. Oh, oh, right. The so, my yeah. producer there, who would he'd he'd when I when I'd come into work. I'd have a stack of paper like this because one thing I learned working on ABC is that if I was wrong about something, oh, if I had it. misstated a fact, there was a viewer who was rushing to the phone to correct me, and I wanted to be able to attribute whatever I was saying to you know a credible, although these days, what does that mean, credible news source? Mm. Or a quote, or to specifically say, um, you know, what had happened, and so I had a stack of papers with me, and I'd, I'd, you know, have them by topic lined up, and he'd always called me the, uh, the the most over, the most superficially over researched talk show host <laughs> on the on the air, and uh, he moved to Florida, and so we got together a few times, and he kept saying. Why don't you do a podcast? I said, everybody and his dog has a podcast. I, what am I going to do a podcast for? And he said, but, you know, you, you, know, you should do it. You have, you have interest because we'd sit for hours. We have something we call Hash Wednesdays, where on Wednesdays, I love corned beef hash. It's one of my favorite things. Corned beef hash, three poached eggs. Yum, yum, yum. And so we'd find the best places to get corned beef hash in Florida. And we'd get together on Wednesdays and we'd talk politics. We'd talk about life. We'd talk about what we're watching on Netflix or Amazon Prime. And he said, you could do all this on a podcast. So he kept he kept nudging me and nudging me. So finally I said, all right. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to put it together. It's not easy to put this the show together. Sure. But to get the little camera and to yeah, get a no, microphone, I, my you only, know? it's a terrific podcast. I do subscribe, and people could search the Richard Bay Talk podcast either on uh, on YouTube or any podcast platform. I only wish you did it more often. Uh, I hate that it's yeah, only uh, once some, a week. Some people tell me. That. I know. I, 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 but I then think I also could... have this this trove of a video. From all the interviews I've done. Uh, So far, I've had Steven Spielberg, Sammy Davis Jr., Jackie Mason, Joan Rivers, Jimmy Carter, uh, clips from, and and clips. And as I looked at some of the old clips that I had, I had them converted to DVDs. It's a lot of the same problems. I had Billy Boggs, who was the homeless person. Back then, I don't know if you remember of course, her, right? Absolutely, right. And and they tried to take her off the state streets. The ACLU stood up for her. She was a guest on the show. And and when you're talking about uh, oh book burning, I my very first show was was book banning and book burning and how the kids shouldn't be reading these certain books in school. It was it was all the same stuff. One of the things about your style as a broadcaster that I'm genuinely in awe of is 
how you've been able to sort of reinvent yourself in so many different formats. <laughs> now, a lot of people uh, can do TV well. They can't make the transition to radio so well, or vice versa. A lot of folks can do serious journalism well. They can't necessarily uh, focus more on the entertainment aspect so well. And yet you're able to do it all seamlessly, and now you're doing the same thing with podcasts. Makes, uh, uh, it drives a lot of us that uh, struggle to make these transitions and absolutely And you left crazy. out acting. Yeah, I, just, I played, you know, right before COVID, I played in a George Bernard Shaw play in Orlando in Florida, and that was one of the greatest experiences of my later life with a group of actors, and um, we, we, we had a three-month run, and it was an equity professional actor production, and... Uh, I just love that. I love being on the stage. A lot of folks may remember you uh, from Channel 9 here in New York, and although I think Channel 9 was uh, sort of a superstation in those right, days, right, so it, right. you had kind of nationwide appeal, where you would do the, the Richard Bay show. Prepare yourself. Excuse me? For a double dose of Bay. Richard Bay. <laughs> now you can catch two times the talk. Do you want revenge? Times the fun. Five days a week. The reason becomes... The Richard Bay Show. I'm proud of it. Weekdays at 11 and now afternoons at 4. It's a hot swinging place. So for two times the bay, two times a day, watch The Richard Bay Show. Now at 11 and 4, beginning Monday on Channel 9. The uh, show was very popular. Uh, you developed Twice this whole, a day? Uh, can you imagine? <laughs> you, th- th- this whole cult following. And uh, the show really was sort of uh, prescient in terms of what came after it oh in television, wasn't God. it? Oh, my God. Yes, it was exactly. We opened the door and everybody else ran through. But what they didn't have was I always saw the show as satirical theater. I was playing different characters. Dick Bay, private eye. Confess. The cheating husband. Right. Confess. Slapping them across Mr. the face. Mr. Puniverse. Mr. Puniverse. Yeah. I played uh, Sergeant Dick Bay and his uh, his um, henpecked husbands in revolt against dictator wives. It was it was fun, and every day we we came up with like a different piece of theater for this. The wheel of torture, where we'd put somebody on that wheel and spin them around. It was it was a, to to me a satire on American pop culture, and it wasn't. Listen, you do a TV show five days a week. I would say one third of it was garbage. Uh, one third of it was okay. It was still funny and entertaining. And one third of it is pretty classic. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Now, another, the way that you did Nine Broadcast Plaza or People Are Talking, very different style than there the Richard There you go. Bay That's show. completely different. Uh, right. And there's really not a show, unless I'm missing something, certainly not a local show like Nine Broadcast Plaza on these days. I mean, what you would do is you would do on, on a local show the news of the day and have the newsmakers on the biggest local stories anywhere. Well, and uh, you don't see that anymore. Well, thank, thanks to my producers and Rosemary Henry, who was the uh, executive producer on that show. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable what they did. They would, uh, you're right, if it was in the New York Post on the front page, we had Secrete Gable, we had Jessica Hahn, we had uh, the, Stein, the mother of the Steinberg baby. Nobody else had these people. And, you know, they would, they would rush over to New York. One guy, we were doing a show on Squeegee Men, and one pr- novice producer who had just come on, we sent him down to the Holland Tunnel <laughs> to put squeegee men in a limousine and bring them to the studio to do it on TV. And you're right. It was – we were in Sea Caucus, uh, you know, but it did cover this whole area. And 
it it, it felt homey. It felt like it, it was part of this community. Uh, that reminds me uh, to go back to our uh, my initial question to you. New York, I feel, has sort of gotten a bad rap. And there's no question that things have, when it comes to crime, when it comes to rats, when it comes to cleanliness, have maybe gone in the wrong directions in a lot of key areas. But I'm consistently amazed when people call me from other parts of the country, even other parts of the world, and say, is it still okay to visit New York? And I'm pointing out, we're going to have 56 million visitors this year. Clearly, there's still something about New York worth visiting. So you don't feel, as a former New Yorker that's now visiting, you don't feel unsafe or like you're walking around in the Wild West, do you? No. And compared to the late 80s, there's no comparison. Uh, But you're right. The cleanliness is a problem. The rats are a problem, you know. And there is there is more crime, but, you know, it's not like you walk down the street and you, you oh, my God, that guy's shot. Oh, my God, look over there. There's a knifing. I mean, these things do happen. The thing is this, is that New York is a media capital. Right. So everything, every time somebody gets shot, stabbed, robbed, the house burns, it, it it's in the papers. So you feel like you're constantly uh, deluged with catastrophe and murder and when we come back we'll take your calls at 800-848-9222 we want to get richard's take on what's happening in the world politically and uh where where we go where we go from here not only in the midterm elections but all the other many many issues in the news that have a lot of people worked up this is the other side of midnight my guest for the hour the one and only richard bay if you want to comment you can do so 800-848-9222 straight ahead the Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. My friends, either you're closing your eyes to a situation you do not wish to acknowledge, or you're a pink panty-wearing commie liberal who is supportive of a terrorist regime in the international community. Well, you got trouble, my friend. Right here I say trouble in the world community. Why, sure, I'm a peace lover, right? Mighty proud to say it, always mighty proud to say it. I consider that the time that I spend talking about peace is golden. Helps me cultivate a sweet nature and a compassionate conservatism and a few votes. Ever try to send a fleet of ships halfway around the earth and keep the tensions going? But just as I say it takes judgment, brains, and maturity to bully the whole damn world, I say that any boob like Clinton can lob a missile into an aspirin factory. And I call that appeasement. The first big step on the road to the depths of Democratic hand-wringing. First, it's a little wine from the liberals. Then it's drinking beer with Saddam. And the next thing you this know, you've got one a leader running around in a Muslim song star. parodies that Richard Bay produced and uh, performed when he was here on WABC. And there's a whole collection of songs uh, that you did, Richard, that... Now, when I hear the original version of that song, I only hear your parody. You know, uh, well, you did William Clinton Goodbye, which was, That's you know, right. Toot Toot Tootsie Goodbye. Right, right. When I hear I get the either the Jolson version of that song, I only hear you sing. Um, you know, the, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the, the uh, They Just Killed Timothy McVeigh song oh, that right. you did. Uh, oh, the, oh uh, the Jihad, uh, the American Jihad. Uh, oh, Yankee Taliban. I'm a Yankee uh, yeah, Taliban. Exactly. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that you just don't see much of uh, on, on radio <laughs> but that these days. One, I mean, oh, that's my favorite. And you want to know something? I've seen the clips of Hugh Jackman in Music Man, and I'm closer to the key <laughs> than he is. I mean, I love Hugh Jackman. I love him. But, man, he's just not 
when he sings Trouble, it's a real disappointment. Robert Preston was incredible. Have in you seen part. the uh, the, the, no, the new show? No, I, I'm, I'm, it's I, a fortune, I, right? Take right. It to a I fortune. have a limit as to what I love theater, but I have a limit as to what I would pay. One hundred and twenty-five dollars is it? So, what have you seen this week since you've been? in I town? just saw a strange loop, and it was a strange loop. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get into that. Uh, recommending? Not recommending? I think I. It depends on your tolerance. For certain things, yeah, fair enough. But I, I, I'm glad I saw it, and I was trepidatious about buying a ticket because when I read the reviews, although every one of them was a rave and it won the Tony Award and a Pulitzer Prize, when I read the reviews, I said I am not going to be interested in a fat, ugly, gay, self-hating homos- uh, 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 a theater usher. You know, and that's what the show's about. And it's about him writing a play. Uh, the show is about a, a, a you know a fat, ugly, homosexual, self-loathing playwright who's writing a play. Sort of a play within a play. A kind play of within a play. You know, and I was listening to one of the podcasts that you did, and I think I've heard you tell the story before, either to me privately or in one of the discussions that we've had over the years. And you were talking about how when you were co-hosting the morning show with Mark Riley, who's a terrific broadcaster on WWRL, still a great guy. Mark and I uh, keep in touch. Great guy. And you talked about how this was you were probably the only white guy on the station. And yet you were for Obama. And just as you when you were on WABC, you were the lone liberal and you'd have to battle everybody that was for George Bush. You would have to go wall to wall battling all the black callers who were against Obama and for Hillary. I know. I thought that um, that Mark Riley's explanation to you of why. A lot of these black callers weren't for the the old black candidate in the race. Was interesting. What did he say? Mark Riley, and he said, "I will," because t- I asked him this, and even Rennie Bishop, who was the PD, he he was for Hillary Clinton, and we had a, a bet that you know if if Obama won, uh, he would buy me a Starbucks, and vice versa, and I would buy him a Starbucks. And every day we we talk about this, the you know the PD of the station. But Mark said, I'll say this during the commercial break, but don't get, don't think I'm going to say this on the air. He said, um, the black listeners, if they believed Obama could win, they'd have to reassess everything they thought about this country, racism, and about the opportunity for black people to actually get ahead with the help of white people. He said, they just... It's hard for them to grasp upon that concept when all their lives and through their experiences, they have learned something completely different. So they will not support Obama because it's, 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 it's negating you know, what they believe about themselves and the world. Now, it, it does seem that since 2008 – Racial tensions are worse in America than they were at that time. Maybe that's just my perspective. But through the prism of hindsight, do you think Mark Riley was right or wrong about that comment? Yeah, no, I think he was right. But I think, but I, I think even though Obama was, not only did he beat Hillary Clinton, but he was elected president twice. Uh, it still didn't negate that concept for people. That mm. I mean. And we're we're going and believe me, I, in some ways it's it's personally, it's like when I go to Broadway, almost every play I see is a black 
experience play like this, like this one. When I, I looked, you know, as an actor, I'm trying to, you know, look for roles in theater. And I, because I'm in equity, I get the casting breakdowns. Every play in every regional theater is an entirely African-American cast. Um, so, and I, and some days you pick up the New York Times. One day I picked up the magazine section and every model was black. You go to the arts and leisure section. It's getting, it was it hasn't been like this lately, but there was a period of time when almost a, the sculptor was black. The art, the article about the actress was black. The article about this one. And I realize that we're making up for periods of time when, when black artists were neglected. And when you think of all the talent and genius that is available in the black community in this country, not only in, in, in the theater or film. I mean, could you imagine? Remember, we used to, when I grew up, we had one black actor, Sidney Poitier, right. and he had to play everything. Once in a while, Harry Belafonte would walk in. I know, but if you could, but think of all the tremendous talents we have now, uh, you know, that came from black Americans. It's unbelievable. Just think of all the things we ignored over those years and the things we lost as a culture because we ignored them. But now, of course, we've got an avalanche. Well, that was before James Patterson took back his comments. That's what I think he was making sort of a similar point about the literary community is that it's it's tougher for white male authors these days. days. And uh, I think that's what when people complain about wokeism or things like that, I think I think it's a reaction to uh, to a lot of that. But I think it will eventually level, you know, level off and talent will out. I I certainly hope so. Speaking of Obama, obviously, his vice president was uh, was Joe Biden. Biden and Trump are... Are we going to have time for phone calls? Yeah, we will. We will. Give me one second. Uh, Biden and Trump are in a very interesting position in that, uh, by all accounts, both of them are probably the favorite to win their party's nomination. And yet polling suggests that the majority of Democrats would prefer someone other than Biden. The majority of Republicans would prefer someone other than Trump. Now, you're a Democrat, but very independent Democrat. You voted for Bob Dole, Ross Perot, It's time for Biden to hang it up. And, and I do believe, as as in that Maureen Dowd column, she said, this would be a great time for you to say, I'm not going to run again because I've accomplished so much. Uh, in one of my podcasts, I had a speech uh, by FDR after his, he's starting his second term, and he said, we rolled up our sleeves and we accomplished things. And uh, there are people who hate me and I welcome their enmity. But in my second term, we will not only have their hatred; we will become their masters. <laughs> <laughs> so you would, you're you're in the someone other. Oh, than Biden it's time camp. for somebody new. Biden was a a good transition, and he accomplished a lot at the last minute. I mean, our media is so f- crazy. I mean, a month ago, if you if you go back and read. The newspapers from a month ago, Biden is finished. He can't accomplish anything. He's falling down. He's, you know, then all of a sudden we kill uh, Zawahiri. We pass this, uh, the biggest climate bill ever. We lower uh, or we negotiate some drug prices at least. Uh, We we get the the veterans bill for the the, smoke pits or the fire pits. pits, Smoke pits. I mean, I'm sure I'm leaving something out, but it was like. 
There was like everything. There was nothing, and then somebody opened a big gate, and all this cornucopia well, fell out of it. And if you, if you're going to give him the blame for the high gas prices, now they're lower. Now that they're going yeah. the other way, you got to give him some of the credit there as well. Eight hundred. But he deserves neither. Two, two, two. <laughs> uh, who's your candidate for 2024? If you had to pick, well, <clears throat> to win or to dream? Well, both. To win, probably Sharon Brown. Uh, from Ohio. Ohio. He's won the senatorship in Ohio three times in what has basically been a red state. Including in years that Trump won yes. Ohio, right? So there is a, a, a Trump-Brown voter. And he has got great working man creds and union creds, and he's a bright guy. The only problem is he talks like this. My name is Sharon Brown, and I, you know, and to listen to that voice, I, I, I. So, All right, so he's the one to win. Okay, but if I had my dream, and this, this is going to drive your listeners crazy, I think take the two most intelligent, focused people in politics, and I don't care, one could be president, one could be vice president, Pete Buttigieg and Stacey Abrams, a black and a gay man. A black woman and a gay man. But that's a dream. You, I have a dream. <laughs> you think Stacey Abrams pulls out the uh, gubernatorial election in Georgia? Well, uh, I, I hope she does, but I don't know. Uh, probably not. Uh, any prediction on Liz Cheney or Sarah Palin tomorrow? Well, or today? Liz actually. Cheney's going to lose. And Sarah Palin might win. I, what I thought was interesting today was how the uh, Senate Republican Committee has pulled back advertising for the, some candidates in three states, they're pulling back on Dr. Oz, mm-hmm. where Fetterman is like 10 points ahead. They're pulling back on Blake Masters, who was the new golden boy, Peter Thiel's billion-dollar baby. Um, and uh, and Kelly is way ahead of him in Arizona. Arizona right. I forget. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. No, a, a, let, me, let me get to some folks that are queuing up to talk with you. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me be with Carol in New Jersey. Carol, you're on with Richard Bay. Hey. Hey, this is oh, Carol. Who's, and you're oh. the Carol that's on Murano Haters and Lovers, right? No. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. Not at all. okay. I love I love him. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take it, Carol. <laughs> what did you want to say to Richard? I love him too. <laughs> Richard, I know you're half Irish. Yes. And your mother met uh, Errol Flynn. That's correct. <laughs> I remember that story. Yeah, well, what happened? story. My mother was and going up he... a spiral staircase in Greenwich Village. And a guy pinched her on the butt and slapped her and said, move your ass, honey. And she turned around. She was mad. And it was Errol Flynn. You're kidding. (laughs) And she bragged about it for the rest of her life. Your mother was groped by uh, Errol Flynn. (laughs) That's right. And cursed at. Well, sort of. That's funny. 800-848-9222. John is in New Jersey. John, you're on with Richard Beck. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. Um, I I heard... uh... Corn beef hash earlier. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I don't know uh, if you guys, uh, it, well, there's one place in New Jersey, one place in New York. Uh, in Jersey, where I'm from, have you guys ever been to Harold's of New York? Harold's in Woodbridge. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I've been there, yeah. No. no. Uh, but yeah. I've been to the Rio Diner many times. They have some of the best corned beef hash at uh, Harold's. Harold's? Oh, man. Uh, you, you, know, the, you, the... Order, you order a sandwich. 
for one person, and they come out with a pile for, like, it'll feed, like, ten people. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's sort of the Jewish Carmines, right? You you, yeah. you have to go there with four <laughs> or five people. You can't right. go there just to have a sandwich for one person. Right. I don't like – I don't love that, honestly. You know, I, I like, you know, be able to order a meal, and you can have it right. if you want to split it. But the, uh, what was but your he, New York recommendation, John? Yeah. Um, Park East Kosher. Park East Kosher. I'm not familiar Where with that Where is that? One. Yeah. They're uh, uptown um, on uh, First Ave and like 90th, somewhere around there. All right. Well, yeah. I'll look it there up. You go. There's Thank something you, called John. Google that is magic. <laughs> Absolutely. 800-848-9222. Romy is in Manhattan. Hello, Romy. Good morning. Richard, I was a big fan of yours. Nice to hear you again. Oh, thank um, you. I'd like to know, how was it working um, in Bruno? I thought that segment was a hoot. Yeah, that was. Will be Bruno with, with Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, I know, right? I did. I, well, first of all, I had no idea. I I told all my friends, listen, I'm doing this thing with Sasha Baron Cohen, but I'm just the facilitator. I'll hardly be in it. Maybe you'll hear my voice off camera. And then when I actually saw it, and they put me in the trailer, <laughs> and it had my name up there, <clears throat> I thought, oh my god, I did this for scale. <laughs> what am I crazy? Um. We did three different versions of it, uh, one with a, a pretty much generic audience and one with a, a, a sort of a, a, um, a, a gun group uh, evangelical audience and then one with a black audience. And, of course, the one with the black audience was the one that made it. But he was – he's probably – I only met him after we shot the uh, – but we spent the whole day because we did it three different times, right? So – but I met him afterwards – and he was so tightly wound up. Really? I can't tell you what he's like. He was like... <sighs> was know. that his decision to put you in the film, or was that somebody else's? No, they, uh... what they called me up originally, and they said, uh, they said we'd like to bring back the Richard Bay show. We think that it could play well in Europe. Would you be interested in doing it again? Now, I'm really not all that interested in doing it again, but I'm not doing anything, right, sure. so why not? So I said, sure. So they said, well, we have to send you an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. So they sent me that, and I signed it, and I send it back. And they said, all right, now we can tell you the truth. <laughs> we don't want to do the Richard Bay show. Have you ever heard of Sasha Baron Cohen? And I said, are you kidding me? I've seen every Ali G. I saw the, the British Ali Gs. So basically that's how I got into it. The producers uh, – Hired me as a uh, you know a talk show host. They thought that would be good doing. Yeah, this. the film is Bruno. If people haven't seen it, I actually haven't seen it. I've seen your portion of oh, the film, but I actually haven't hell. seen the film. It's got got great reviews. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Russell is in White Plains. Hello, Russell. Oh, hi, Frank. Hey, Richard Bay. You're sort of the missing link between Soupy Sales and Jerry Springer, right? <laughs> well, uh, Soupy Sales, I'll cop to, but uh, Jerry Springer. I think Jerry Springer took uh, he took something from the show, but he yeah. he forgot to take the comedy. My show wasn't there. We weren't no. trying to have people well, beat, beat the hell out of each other. You no, know? you had a dollop of Sam Donaldson. I'll give you that. Hey, but Richard, <laughs> eleven years ago, you know, you say if you're wrong about something, you correct it. Eleven years ago, I asked you about your father, who you sort of. Pre- perpetuated the canard that the dropping of those two weapons of mass destruction on the Japanese 77 years ago, uh, within a week you know, ago, was the reason we, we had to drop those weapons. Have you rethought that? 
No, no. I still think well, I, I think I'm... you really should. Because since then I looked. I remember three... you calling me about this. And you want to know oh, something? Thanks. My friend well, Jay Diamond, who is a radio yeah. host, he absolutely agrees with you. And we argue about this constantly. because so the, whether or not it was appropriate to drop the atomic yes. bomb. And I think, right. if, I think if Truman had not decided to use the ultimate weapon when we had it. And we had started either a, uh, uh, first of all, if we were going to, uh, you know, um, um, surround them and embargo every every mm. bit of food coming and starving them to death, I don't think that, I think more people would have died. But I think an invasion, certainly more people would have died. But but the other the other part of this is, if Truman had not used that ultimate weapon and we had had to go a different route or an invasion, I think Truman would have been impeached. Richard, the Soviets declared war three days before I, we dropped yeah, them. I know. They were marching down the archipelago. They would have occupied the uh, Well, Japanese. actually, Thank they you. were not marching Thank you, down. Russell. Well, let me correct you. They were not marching down the archipelago. What they were were they were in Manchuria. And, in fact, um, the Soviets and the Japanese were at war for two weeks after the atom bomb, after Japan's surrender in, in – um, was it Manchuria or in in, in China? There were eighty thousand soldiers killed, uh, wow. Japanese and Russians, after the atom bomb was dropped. Eighty thousand. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Whether it's the politics of seventy seven years ago or the foreign right. policy of today, we're going to cover it all with Richard Bay. You have comments, questions, uh, thoughts. We will get to you throughout the next few minutes. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, every weeknight on WABC in New York, uh, the audience would know that this song, which was initially made famous from the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar, was the beginning of a radio boxing match that was second to none uh, with the buzz with Steve Malzberg and Richard Bay. Very, very pleased to have Richard Bay. I always thought Richard it was Bay. Curtis and Kuby for adults. Uh, that's one way of uh, of looking at it. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, Curtis and Kuby without the level of anger management and restraint that was always present in the morning show, that's for sure. Um, hey, real quick, before we uh, run out of time, give me your sort of quick take on the uh, raid on Mar-a-Lago, what the political implications are, and not that you have inside information about what the grand right. jury is looking at, but where you think it's going legally well. As well. I, I think we're, you know... We're still in the midst of it, um, and at least Ron DeSantis didn't send the National Guard in to protect Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> what if that had happened? I mean, there's so much misinformation out there. Until we know, you know, exactly what this is connected to, we know the three crimes were mentioned, you know, uh, going in. Uh, it, it, it's very difficult to say how this will all play out. But you're but, not ready to defund the FBI yet? Like uh, not at, not at all. I, do people remember that one week before the election, Fox News, uh, Brett Baer was on the air saying that the FBI was leaking to them that Hillary was about to be indicted. 
There's a, there's a headline on that. You could go look it up. It's on Real Clear Politics still. And that that was an FBI leak. People forget that back then it was the Democrats who were saying the New York field office. Mm. It was Joseph Kalstrom who had been Jim FBI. Kalstrom. Jim Kalstrom. Right. He had been the FBI chief. He was working with Giuliani and they were leaking stuff. Giuliani was on television saying something big is going to happen next week. And then what happened was they found um, Anthony Weiner's uh, Huma Aberdeen's uh, right. computer. Yeah, Weiner sat in that chair recently, and he uh, he he takes issue with the the uh, the conventional wisdom that the discovery of that laptop played a, a role in uh, in Trump's election. I mean, he said he, he basically said there was nothing on the laptop, and that uh, yeah, but that but it didn't matter right. because it was out there, and Trump used it. And Trump went on the as soon as Fox News said Hillary is about to be indicted. He went on the campaign trail and said, have you heard the news? She's about to be indicted. I think that last thing did play a role in it because pe- the people who were sort of on the fence said, aye, enough with this Michigas. I, this other guy seems like he's nuts, but let's take a chance on him. I mean, it was, you know, obviously she won more votes, and that's not the way we select a president. But it was it was pretty close in many places. Do you think if there's a Trump versus Biden rematch, that uh, do you feel how confident do you feel in Biden winning again? 60, 70 percent. So you think there's a, a real chance that Trump could win the the election if it's a Trump Biden. Well, I thought last time people would say to me, could, do you think Trump could win this election? I said, I said, possibly, but not probably. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I'd feel about this. Politics, you don't know what's going to pop That's for up. sure. That is for sure. 800-848-9222. Helen is in Fairfield, Connecticut. Hello, Helen. Hello there, guys. Um, I'm definitely not here to flatter um, Mr. Bay. <laughs> well, you could sure. flatter me if that <laughs> would make no, you feel no, better. I, you, I, you I like. Oh, thank I, you. Um, the, I'm obviously tuning in. I have no idea who you're going to have on the show. And um, I get hungry at about 1 o'clock. So what else am I supposed to do other than listen to you? <laughs> I'll take but, it. Um, but, but seriously, that's probably true. However... When I heard the pics of Stacey Abrams and Pete Buttigieg, who has done absolutely nothing, I mean nothing, to advance his position, I do not understand those pics. I mean, these are your dream candidates. You've given me a nightmare. Well, that's well, your opinion. Yeah. So uh, do you want to uh, add anything as to why those two are your are your picks? I mean, you mentioned the identity I think politics they are both, aspect. No, of it, but, yeah, but that's not the reason. Well, the so, reason yeah, is gonna... they're the two of the most articulate people to, and two of the most people who are articulate in, in creating a vision for the future for America. I mean, when you talk to Pete Buttigieg, he doesn't evade a question. He answers the question, and he doesn't answer it in a sentence. He answers it in a paragraph. And I believe that he has done some stuff, as uh, some important things. I think, remember we had uh, the, the supply chain uh, problems? Uh, they had to work to clear that up. It was really, what did we have, 80? We had 80 ships off the coast waiting to get to the docks in California. And within a month, it was down to like 20 ships. And and now the supply chain problems are are, are, are easing. We're going to have an, an electric car future. We are, regardless of what anybody says. We're going to have that. And um, 
uh, when we're talking about transportation. Uh, the the airports are better. Have you been to LaGuardia lately? Although that's not Pete Buttigieg didn't do it, it's right? Been, but LaGuardia, which used to be the pits of all American airports, I went to the the new Delta terminal. It's incredible. It's beautiful. And but, yeah, go but, ahead. Before I lose you, I, I wanted to get your take on the Nancy Pelosi trip to Taiwan. Very controversial. Uh, now there's a second congressional de- yeah, delegation yeah. that's going to Taiwan. In case we didn't make our point with the first one, uh, g- give me your take. It's very clear the Biden White House did not want her to go. It's uh, very clear the Chinese very upset about this. Do you think that she did the right thing by going? Yeah, I don't think. I you know when you have an invitation to go to a country. A third country shouldn't prohibit you from going, not especially not not an American or an American politician. I, th- I think she was right to go. It's you know the Chinese are, are are you know going through their rent. Chinese got a lot of problems right now. Their economy is not in good shape anymore, um, and uh, neither is Russia's. By the way, you mm-hmm. know Russia just announced their their first uh, quarter GDP after the war, and they're they're negative four percent. Now you know what, what were we down ne- negative? Yeah, point it was negligible. One. Point yeah. one or point they're two. They're down. They're down four percent. Their GDP. Yeah, yeah and uh, this uh, zero COVID policy that they have in China, China. it uh, doesn't seem like that is no. going to do any, no, any wonders down for their economy. And yeah, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Arthur is in Bayside. Hello, Arthur. Uh, hi, Frank. Uh, this is for Richard. Uh, I, I understand uh, he has to make a buck, you know, and get more work, and and that's okay. But I wish he would at least admit that he hates Trump. Yeah, and, I, I don't uh, think he's a secret uh, Trump uh, admirer, critic, right? I mean, you, you're I not. Don't, masquerading I don't. It's as... not that I hate Trump. I hate what Trump has done to this country. That's what I hate. I mean, I I don't have a I don't have a personal animosity for him. If anything, I think he's a pathetic uh, creature. Um, I think good. Good. I'm glad you 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 bring that up. Also, Richard, I'm kind of but that's not hatred. That's not hatred. That's not hatred. I think he's missed. Oh, oh, the way you went on Facebook with me on Richard's uh, post. Oh, trust me, it was pretty hateful. I didn't call John Richard. John Richard, remember this is Arthur Pilibosian, okay, yeah, so what? the Armenian. Uh, oh, all right, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. you have and a thing the, about the, okay. Armenia. Oh, no, and you had a thing don't. about no, no. You hold it. You hold it. No, you, I'm you, no, hold you, it no, with you. no, you no, had a, you I'm had a, you had a burr in your shorts about the Turks. I know that's what your thing is. I was going to bring that up. That's what your problem is. He's an Armenian. Who went after me because my grandfather, who was a Jew, uh, came from Turkey. He was a Sephardic Jew. And now he's calling me about hatred? He went on, oh my God, the things he said about me and the Turks and my ancestors who were Jewish. Wow. Gee, uh, you know, those Facebook feuds, they really... Yeah, uh... but you know what? I'm not going to let that guy bully me yeah, around. Yeah, why, no, why should you? You know, let, we only have about a minute left, but I did want to ask you. I've noticed on Facebook you engage with a lot of uh, people who are critical. In some cases, uh, critical is not the word. Hostile is the word. I, I tend to not engage because yeah. I really, it just frustrates me. Why on social media uh, do you make the decision to engage with Because with I always folks? learn something. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, people come up with different uh, arguments, especially with this thing about Mar-a-Lago. Right. Every day it's something inter- different. Oh, he has the power to declassify. Oh, it was the GSA not coordinating properly with the, with, you know, with the uh, archives uh, authority. Oh, there's there's a different excuse every day. Oh, there's nothing classified here. I mean. There are so I'm, I'm trying to think of all the. There's been so many, and they and they, you know what? It's all Steve Bannon's philosophy, which is cloud everything up with a pile of crap. That's what what, what was he said? Unleash the crap uh, so everything gets something money. along those right, lines. Right. Uh, check out the Richard Bay Talk podcast. Search it on YouTube. Subscribe. I watch it every week. I think uh, uh, Richard, w- if you were uh, still on the air these days, what is it you say? Don't let the media matrix melt with your and mind. Right? I, I love the Armenians, and I think what the Turks did during that Holocaust was terrible. Right. Okay. Do- Richard Bay, you'll come back soon. But but that was a hundred years ago. Keep asking questions.